electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is the American Greed Podcast, presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. In this episode of American Greed, Ray Nagin rises to power as mayor of New Orleans on big promises of reform. The winds of change are blowing, and they are fanning the flames of a renaissance in our great city. When he first came into office, he was a rock star. I mean, this is a guy who had crossover support black, white, rich, poor. I mean, he was the guy that came into office that was supposed to change New Orleans, fix New Orleans, clean up New Orleans. Until one of the most catastrophic storms in history changes everything. Katrina strikes a heavy blow to the Louisiana coast as a Category 4 storm. Everybody was devastated. We had no electricity. We had no running water. We had no food. This city needed a great leader, and the mayor was a logical choice. But as billions of dollars begin to flow in for rebuilding, Nagin's anti-corruption ideals seem to wash away like the floodwaters. And the mayor sells out the citizens of the Crescent City for little more than $500,000 in luxury trips, services, and cash. When his financial needs and his lifestyle definitely outpaced his legitimate income, he then shows an illegitimate income in those bribes and kickbacks. Every person is hereby ordered to immediately evacuate the city of New Orleans or, if no other alternative is available, to immediately move to one of the facilities within the city that will be designated as a refuge of last resort. On August 28, 2005, Mayor C. Ray Nagin orders the first ever mandatory evacuation of New Orleans as Hurricane Katrina roils in the Gulf of Mexico. Nearly a million residents flee the metropolitan area. Within two days, after the storm hits and the levees fail, 80% of New Orleans is underwater, and 100,000 people who remain are stranded in deadly conditions. There are planning failures at all levels of government as the world watches in horror. We need help, sir. We really need help. And Mayor Ray Nagin catapults into the national spotlight as he attempts to triage one of the country's worst ever disasters. But 10 years after Katrina, Nagin is conspicuously absent from the national remembrance. It's kind of surreal to think that when the storm hit, he was elbow to elbow with the President of the United States and everybody who wanted to lead the recovery. And then as we hit the 10th anniversary, he's watching in a prison jumpsuit from federal prison. Three years before Katrina hits, Clarence Ray Nagin Jr. is a business executive and political outsider. Born and raised in a working-class New Orleans family, education guides Nagin out of the poor wards of the city to Tuskegee University. 
He then climbs the corporate ladder, and by the early 2000s, he is a vice president and general manager at Cox Communications, earning $400,000 a year. Nagin lives with his wife and three kids in the upper middle class area of Park Island, in a mid-century modern home known as the Ashtray House, for the architect's use of 1,200 amber ashtrays along the roof line. And he seems to be living the American dream. Robert Jenkins is Nagin's attorney. He got a very, very astute business background, very educated man, and uh, a good family man. But apparently, Nagin wants something more. In 2002, with strong backing from the business community, Nagin throws his hat into the mayoral race, running as the anti-corruption, business-minded candidate. Salary drops tremendously when you go into public service. He was thinking more of um, what he could do to help this city and help the citizens of the city. WDSU reporter Travers Mackle covers the election and watches Nagin come from behind to beat a slew of seasoned politicos. I think power is what attracted him to the position, that he was already the CEO of a large telecommunications company. So I guess he looked at it as, hey, I can run a city. I think most people will tell you this. When he came into office, his intentions were good. Thank you. Thank you. I am so happy to be here doing this right now. Anticipation is a wonderful thing, but sometimes it wears you down. And I am ready. This is a guy who had so much promise and so much potential and so much charisma and so much moxie that he seemed like he was a rising star in politics. And it was going to put New Orleans in the right direction. The winds of change are blowing, and they are fanning the flames of a renaissance in our great city. Nagin appears to start out strong. Just 11 weeks into office, he implements a sweeping operation to clean up bribery in the city's taxicab licensing and inspection programs. After 84 arrests in one day, the mayor makes national headlines as a new kind of leader in the Crescent City. But Gordon Russell, who covers the story for the Times-Picayune, says once the media fades away, there is little payoff. It was kind of showmanship more than anything. They marched these people, you know, they kind of brought them all out for the cameras and frog marched them around in front of City Hall with handcuffs on. And one of the people was a, a cousin of the mayor, so it kind of sent this message that, you know, nobody's above the law. In the end, the sweep nets not one conviction. But in the meantime, Nagin's approval rating shoots up 80%. Bill Roussel is a community organizer and political consultant who has worked with Nagin's administration. There was an effort afoot to bring about reform in city government. He took office with that intent, and I think for the first three years or so was rather relatively successful in getting people to feel good about the government. With popular support behind him, the mayor also decides to focus on his passion for technology. I think he said something like, you know, I'm used to George Jetson and this is Fred Flintstone's world. I'm living in when he came to City Hall. Everything was ancient. He said, we got to remake this place totally and, you know, start putting things online and, you know, just kind of bring the city into the 21st century. Nagin creates the city's first mayor's department of technology. 
To head it up, former assistant U.S. attorney Matt Komen says Nagin reaches outside the political sphere and chooses a local tech entrepreneur named Greg Meffert as chief technology officer. There was an air in the city of this would be a new day, and that was certainly his platform, and that was uh, Gregory Meffert was certainly a piece of that once he took office to modernize City Hall, uh, to be more transparent, more accountable, and to not suffer from those uh, ills of corruption, fraud, waste, abuse. What people don't yet know is that the mayor is handing enormous power to Greg Meffert, and it will prove to be arguably the worst decision Ray Nagin ever makes. He had an incredible amount of influence on Nagin. Nagin obviously is a weak-willed individual to succumb to that kind of uh, influence. In my opinion, Greg Mefford was the single most corrupting influence on Ray Nagin. But even before examining the mayor's relationship with Mefford, many people begin to question Nagin's ability to lead the city. I don't think he truly understood the nature of how you make compromise, how you build relationships how you work toward consensus in order to be able to move people together in a harmonious way. His inexperience as a politician and his, he just had trouble kind of governing and it was starting to become like, well, what is this guy, what's he doing? You know, where's all the bold reform taking us? You know, and is he actually getting anything done? If Nagin intends to coast through the rest of his term, however, Mother Nature has a different plan. In late August 2005, Hurricane Katrina swings a hard right into the Gulf of Mexico, setting her course for New Orleans. And it seems nothing will remain the same. He was a status quo mayor up until Katrina hit, and that changed the game and it changed everything. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. It was a big storm. On the morning of August 29, 2005, the fury of Hurricane Katrina slams into the Louisiana-Mississippi border. In New Orleans, the first of several levees gives way, and billions of gallons of water begin to flood the city. Hello? Thousands are stranded, hundreds dead and dying. The world watches in shock as days go by with no real plan of action, and all eyes are on Mayor Ray Nagin. The curfew will be from dusk to dawn. There will be no one allowed to move along the city routes with the exception of security personnel. The next area that we have been dealing with is uh, trying to recover as many of our beloved deceased citizens as possible. It was the face of trying to get the federal government to come down and assist us quickly and not wait. And he was all over the place trying to do this, slept couple of hours every day trying to get the city back together. It's very, very difficult. In this radio interview, heard around the nation five days after the storm, Nagin is desperate. I need reinforcements. I need troops, man. I need 
500 buses. This is a national disaster. Get every doggone Greyhound bus line in the country and get the asses moving to New Orleans. That's their thinking small, man, and this is a major, major, major deal. And I can't emphasize it enough, man. This is crazy. The storm's aftermath leaves New Orleans in mold and ruin. Half a million residents are still scattered throughout 44 states. Rebuilding will take years and billions of dollars. We know that this has been a hard uh, and tough uh, road that we've been on. Uh, We'd like to move faster, uh, but the realities are this devastation is unprecedented and there's never been uh, any city that has gone through this. Mayor Nagin vows to unite the city and rebuild stronger than ever. But Howard Schwartz, New Orleans Assistant Inspector General, who was with the FBI's public corruption team at the time, believes those are empty promises. What said great moments make great men, the city needed a fully engaged mayor. The time to become fully engaged wasn't after the crisis, and here's how we do things. He wasn't hands-on from day one. Since he wasn't hands-on, he wasn't prepared to handle a city on normal circumstances, let alone after this catastrophe. It made it even worse. One of Mayor Nagin's most disastrous moves after the storm is to approve a city rebuilding plan by a panel of experts that seeks to turn several flood-prone, historically African-American areas into green parkways. Ray Nagin was the guy who sort of first started talking about possibly redlining parts of the city. Um, and he sort of entertained that notion. After an immediate public outcry, reporter Gordon Russell says that Nagin quickly backtracks. Because in the midst of a broken city, where more than half the population is still scattered elsewhere, Nagin is running for re-election, and he can't afford to alienate a key constituency. There was a lot of fear at the time among blacks, especially, that they were not being welcomed back with open arms that maybe some parts of town were going to be redlined or or what have you. He uh, changed his direction somewhat and became much more concerned that uh, African-American community have uh, more of a voice, more of a participation in um, the activities of the city. And now would you please welcome the mayor of the great city of New Orleans, C. Ray Nagin. In a now infamous speech on Martin Luther King Jr. Day 2006, Nagin appeals to the African-American electorate while leaving others offended. It's time for us to come together. It's time for us to rebuild a New Orleans, the one that should be a chocolate New Orleans. And I don't care what people are saying uptown or wherever they are. This city will be chocolate at the end of the day. This city will be a majority African-American city. It's the way God wants it to be. In a sense, it was a really key piece to galvanizing the African-American vote in his favor. There are people who uh, think it was something off the wall. I don't know if he had intentionally planned it that way, but it certainly helped to galvanize the black vote for him in the 2006 election. Eight months after Katrina, in May 2006, Nagin ekes out a second-term win, 
and is charged with leading the massive recovery of New Orleans. But within a year into a second term, as little gets accomplished, frustration is growing across all areas of the city. I think the black community, like the rest of the community, was disappointed in the pace of the recovery. He was disengaged for the better part of his second term. I think he realized how big the rebuilding effort was. A lot of people can easily make the argument that he checked out probably sometime around late 2006, early 2007, that he had no interest anymore in governing, in being the mayor, in leading the rebuilding, that he was out for himself at that point. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. New Orleans, Louisiana, early 2007. About 18 months after Hurricane Katrina and the ensuing floods devastate the Big Easy, there is a growing discontent in the city about the slow pace of recovery. And most of the blame lands squarely on the shoulders of Mayor Ray Nagin. There is a sort of righteous anger about him having sort of the city's collective feeling that he had been sort of mailing it in during during a really a time when we needed a real leader. Around the same time, New Orleans investigative journalist Gordon Russell begins digging into a story about Mayor Nagin's partial ownership of a granite company called Stone Age that was recently started by his two sons. We were hearing that he was spending more time at this business and like a fair bit of time, and it seemed incredible that you would have a mayor who's faced with this incredible task of rebuilding the city after this amazing disaster and he's you know running a granite business just but on the other hand a lot of people needed countertops so that was that was strange and we started looking into that um a little bit more and um got a few tips here and there and then that led us to the home depot russell learns that after katrina Home Depot was anxious to open a new store in the Central City neighborhood of New Orleans. Kind of a tough neighborhood, uh, plagued with some violence, a lot of poverty. Um, this is the Superdome over on this side of you over here. Um, you can see a lot of abandoned lots and uh, kind of uh, blighted housing around us. And then this is the Home Depot over here. The company wants to purchase several streets from the city in order to build the store and parking lot there. And the city appraises the land at $850,000. Local community groups are also working with the city council to require Home Depot to hire a certain percentage of workers from the immediate area at a higher than normal wage. And for the company, this is an obstacle. That is, until Ray Nagin sees a business opportunity according to former U.S. Attorney Matt Coleman. Ray Nagin involved himself and actually left a voicemail for the CEO of Home Depot 
offering his assistance uh, with the community group. At some point soon thereafter, Ray Nagin sent his chief economic development officer uh, to a meeting at the city council and instructed her to tell both the community group as well as Home Depot that he would not support the community group's efforts anymore and he wanted the project to go forward without any agreement between Home Depot and the neighborhood group. And so, here in an overwhelmingly poor African-American community, the mayor of his so-called chocolate city is accused of selling out those very citizens he promised to fight for. About two weeks later, Stone Age lands a contract with Home Depot to be the exclusive granite countertop installer for several of their stores. They were obviously doing a lot of business at the time because everybody needed new homes, uh, countertops included. Nagin also agrees to sell Home Depot the city land for a significantly reduced price. At first, Ray Nagin wanted the city to receive the full appraised value. At some point, um, we can only surmise, at some point, a uh, light bulb went off in Ray Nagin's head. At that same time, he began to pursue Home Depot for his family-owned Stone Age business. He then changed his mind. He had a change of heart and agreed to that lower price of $100,000. After securing the contract, Nagin sends emails to Home Depot executives about giving Stone Age more business. When he felt they weren't getting enough work from their deal, he would complain and he would send him a note saying, you know, it would say from the mayor of New Orleans. It didn't say from Ray Nagin, this guy who owns a business. Um, so he was definitely trading on the fact that he was the mayor. He wanted um, and expected to receive approximately 10 to 20 jobs, countertop installation jobs, per week from Home Depot. That would equate to approximately total a million dollars per year in gross revenues. And his uh, efforts to leverage and pressure them, uh, he believed, would be a huge windfall. Stone Age ultimately does about $170,000 in business before Home Depot ends the contract because of poor performance and customer complaints. And that's when authorities say Ray Nagin goes looking for another illegal revenue stream. In 2008, the New Orleans Office of the Inspector General starts investigating the mayor's Office of Technology and its contract for a problematic citywide system of crime cameras. Through that investigation that was conducted by our inspections and evaluation staff, they noticed some discrepancies on the vendors, the quality of the cameras, what was being put out, and there were just a lot of inconsistencies. The contract is overseen by New Orleans Chief Technology Officer Greg Mefford, who was handpicked by Mayor Ray Nagin as soon as he took office in 2002, and who subsequently buys a home next door to the mayor. He became one of the mayor's most trusted aides, and eventually, by the time of Katrina, he was kind of calling himself deputy mayor, which was a title of his own making, I think. But um, he was as powerful a guy in the city government as there was outside of the mayor. I mean, these two were, for better or worse, they were the dynamic duo. I mean, these were the guys who came in and said, you know what, we're going to change City Hall, we're going to up technology. And Greg Meffert, almost from the start, it has now been proven, was out to enrich himself. Two months after Katrina hit, Nagin had signed an executive order giving Meffert free reign to hand out technology contracts with no bidding required. 
he literally gave the mayor's office of technology a license to steal. He signed an executive order for them to award contracts, I'm talking millions of dollars in contracts, without a competitive bidding process, without layers of approval, without a review period. And that's when the money started coming in. Post-Katrina, Mefford awards several huge no-bid contracts, including the crime cameras, to his friend, a private tech entrepreneur named Mark St. Pierre. And with that, uh, Mark St. Pierre became a millionaire. Uh, in turn, Mark St. Pierre, at the same time, was paying Gregory Mefford the hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes and kickbacks for his favorable treatment at City Hall. After the Inspector General's office issues a scathing report on Mefford and St. Pierre's crime camera deal, it sparks an investigation involving the U.S. Attorney's Office and the FBI. Investigators learn that St. Pierre provides a credit card for Mefford's unfettered use, and Mefford appears to have no problem using it. Gregor Mefford charged approximately $133,000 in trips purchases and other items. He was definitely living a life beyond his means um, as a public servant. Craig Mefford had a card. The company paid it off. The company was being paid by the city of New Orleans. So we, the taxpayers, were paying for his lifestyle. According to Inspector General Investigator Eduardo Hernandez, Mefford's lifestyle includes holding staff meetings at a local strip club and partying on a yacht called the Silicon Bayou owned by Mark St. Pierre's company. The things that would occur on the boat, they would have their, their normal meetings, but they would also have strippers come onto the boat. They would play poker. The boat was also used at various times by other city employees for someone's birthday party. It almost seemed like it was the mayor of technology's office for their own personal use for whatever they'd like to do. Greg Meffert leaves the mayor's office of technology in 2006 and promptly begins receiving hundreds of thousands of dollars in so-called consulting fees from his pal St. Pierre. Gregory Meffert then collected approximately $647,000 in a series of uh, checks that Mark St. Pierre wrote to him and Gregory Meffert funneled through a different company. So in all, it was approximately $900,000 that Mark St. Pierre bribed and kicked back to Gregory Mefford over the term of their nefarious conduct. In November 2009, Mefford and St. Pierre are charged with conspiracy, bribery, and money laundering in a 63-count indictment. As the charges are made public, the big question is, what is Ray Nagin's involvement? There are reports that Nagin accepted several lavish family vacations as well as cell phones, lawn care, and other services paid for by Mark St. Pierre. But for now, no proof. Ray Nagin did some things when they were in office that called it. It called a lot of things into question. You know, city vendors were paying for Ray Nagin to go on vacations. Ray Nagin claimed, I didn't know the city vendors were paying for, for me to go on vacation. Greg Meffert set this up. Some of the records that were produced did show that Ray Nagin um, had some involvement, but at that point, uh, we did not know the extent of that involvement. In 2010, five years after Hurricane Katrina, Mayor Ray Nagin's second and final term comes to an end. He has a dismal 24% approval rating. The fact of the matter is, is you have a city as large as New Orleans, and you have everybody pulling you 
we should have the street lights here first. We'd have our electricity here first. We should have the water purification here. And decisions have to be made. You can't cater to everybody all the time. So some people are going to get upset if you don't do it the way they want it done. It seems for Nagin and his wife, Salitha, his last days in public office can't come soon enough. She is ready to go, and I am too. <laughs> I have been uh, beaten on for almost four years, so that takes a toll. Nagin moves with his family to Frisco, Texas, and begins collecting big consulting fees from some of the same vendors he awarded city contracts to as mayor. But if he thinks he's going to move on and leave New Orleans behind, he's very wrong. You might start a case with uh, some low officials. You might start a case with contractors, with non-appointed uh, or elected officials. But the purpose, the, the intent, is to get to the highest official. In this case, the highest official was Nagan. Ray Nagan's former technology chief and closest advisor, Greg Meffert, is already under indictment for corruption. Accused of accepting hundreds of thousands of dollars in bribes and kickbacks from city contractor Mark St. Pierre, who is also charged. Meffert has one card to play that might get him less jail time, and that is what he knows about Nagan. It's safe to say in 2010 when Greg Meffert got indicted, it was probably the beginning of the end for Ray Nagan. It was when everything started to go downhill and started picking up steam pretty fast. Meffert agrees to fully cooperate with the U.S. Attorney's Office and the FBI. Meffert made a deal, as a lot of people do, believing he could help himself, help himself with his sentence, to reduce his sentence. That's why people cooperate. But in the federal system, there is no guarantee that they will, be, that they will benefit, they will profit, they will be, uh, get a lesser sentence. The only one that knows what that sentence is going to be is a federal judge. Nagin's former ally pulls back the curtain on his time at City Hall with the mayor and says that Ray Nagin accepted bribes from vendors looking for city contracts. He fleshed out uh, the interactions that they had, the conversations that they had, the trips that Nagin took, the money that he took. Prosecutors say that when Nagin went from making $400,000 a year in the private sector to $130,000 as mayor, he and his family never changed their lifestyle, and Nagin had to supplement his income to keep up. They continued to eat at the finest restaurants in town, to buy relatively expensive clothes, have other expenses that we all have, uh, tuition, house payment, and all those other items, which was his choice. Um, the choice he did not have legally to make was to go on the take, and that's what he did to make up the difference. In addition to several lavish family trips, cell phones, and lawn care services paid for by St. Pierre, the government charges that Nagin then used his son's granite business, Stone Age, as a conduit of corruption. Several years earlier, after a deal he arranged with Home Depot fell through, Nagin, being the company's sole financier, needs to bring in more capital. That's when prosecutor Matt Komen says he turns to Rodney Williams, owner of a local engineering firm who had been trying to get into the city contractor pool to get work during the post-Katrina recovery. Specifically, Ray Nagin asked for a total of $60,000 in January of 2008 from Rodney Williams. And at that same time, uh, Ray Nagin promised and guaranteed to Rodney Williams, quote, I will take care of you at City Hall. And in fact, 
Rodney Williams and his two partners wrote personal checks on the same date, January 31st, 2008, for 20,000, 20,000, 20,000. Delivered those, those were deposited in Ray Nagan's a company named Stone Age, LLC, and Ray Nagan in turn signed contract after contract. Rodney Williams went from averaging about $100,000 a year in city work to over a million dollars a year after he paid the bribe that Ray Nagan asked for. Nagan's defense attorney says that the mayor is simply a legal partial owner of Stone Age and that he did not know Rodney Williams had given money as a so-called investment in the company. He did nothing wrong. He did nothing illegal, he did nothing improper. Rodney tried to get close to the mayor by going through the sons. So he had no idea about this. The Stoneage things was a total separate entity. But prosecutor Matt Komen says that after going through Rodney Williams' money, Nagan had set out to take in even more. This time from Frank Fredella, CEO of the construction firm Home Solutions of America who was trying to set up a huge deal to turn a defunct smokestack power plant in New Orleans into a mixed-use development. His value with other individuals were his connections with City Hall, namely Ray Nagan. Could he get things approved by City Hall? Those things are very important when it comes to financing large projects, so that's what Frank Fidella wanted to basically sell, and Ray Nagan was available. He was for sale, and he asked for that $100,000 from Frank Fredella. In order to conceal the payment, Komen says Fredella brings in an associate from New Jersey to transfer $50,000 from his daughter's trust account to the Stone Age Company. In addition to the $50,000, prosecutors say Fredella shipped another $52,000 worth of free granite to Stone Age. But Robert Jenkins says Fredella cannot be trusted. Frank Fidella is a con man, and you can see that throughout his history, that he is a con man. He has convictions throughout other jurisdictions. And at the time when he had to say that, he was already caught. And he was, what, about to be sentenced in Texas. So the deal's worked out that, hey, we'll hold up your sentencing if you cooperate in Louisiana. So what do you think he's going to do? He's going to say whatever is necessary to help him. In January 2013, former Mayor Ray Nagan, who has been out of office and living in Texas for three years, is charged with 21 counts of corruption. Almost a year later, his trial opens at the federal courthouse in New Orleans. WDSU reporter Travers Mackle covers the case. So the trial was arguably the biggest trial in the history of New Orleans. We have a long history of public corruption in government in Louisiana. There was a lot of anticipation for the trial. I mean, everybody wanted to know what was going on. At trial, the government lays out a detailed case of corruption spanning several years, bolstered by their star witnesses Greg Meffert, Rodney Williams, and Frank Fredella. But his defense attorney, Robert Jenkins, insists that Nagin is innocent of all charges. The main defense was that these guys were lying they were receiving a benefit for their testimony. He didn't do any of these actions. When you go back and look at Fidelo, you can look at what he got out of it. He had convictions in other states. You go look at Mefford, what he got, his first sentence, and then what he got the reduction on when he cooperated with the government. So they all got something, they gained something, and when that happens, of course, you have to be suspect of their testimony. The defense argues that Ray Nagin did not accept bribes, 
that he did everything in the good faith of rebuilding New Orleans. Nagin takes the stand to defend himself. It appears that he thought he could charm his way through testimony and probably get one juror to side with him and get a hung jury or maybe charm them all. And they'd say, you know what? Look at this guy, charismatic, charming, smart, hit everything. No way he could have done this, not guilty. But in the end, it's up to the jury to decide who they believe. On February 12, 2014, after an eight-day trial and six hours of deliberation, they find Nagin guilty on 20 of 21 counts, including conspiracy, bribery, wire fraud, conspiracy to commit money laundering, and filing false tax returns. When the verdict came down, he looked stunned. I mean, he looked, I don't think he was prepared at all for a guilty verdict. Nagin becomes the first ever mayor of New Orleans to be convicted on federal corruption charges. Well, we were devastated. We didn't think that they would come back to be guilty on the testimony of um, a convicted felon, Frank Fidella, Greg Mefford. Nobody came into the trial against Mr. Nagin that had what we call clean hands. All these people had something to gain. After testifying against Nagin, Greg Mefford receives a reduced two-and-a-half-year sentence. Rodney Williams and Frank Fadella both get one-year sentences. And Mark St. Pierre's 17-year sentence is later reduced to five years after he also agrees to cooperate. Five months later, it's Ray Nagin's turn to learn his fate as he enters the federal courthouse once again. You still maintain your innocence? You still think you're innocent? Absolutely. Nagin is facing 15 to 20 years. Judge Helen Berrigan decides to go below the recommended guidelines and sentences him to 10 years at a federal prison camp. In this, his only post-conviction interview, done just after the sentencing with WDSU reporter Travers Mackle, Nagin appears unchanged. So 10 years in prison, what was going through your mind when the judge read that in court today? Well, you know, all of this is pretty surreal to me. Uh, you know, I still maintain my innocence. We're going to appeal this thing. And, you know, it's just something that's very difficult. The former mayor says the prosecution presented a false case against him. The prosecutors were fairly magical in their ability to take something that supposedly happened and paint it as reality when it really didn't happen. Uh, I was not aware of any of that stuff. I was not involved in any kind of bribes. Uh, and I think my testimony uh, laid that out. When asked what happened to Ray Nagin, the former mayor says that he crossed the wrong people, though he doesn't name them. In my opinion, I've been targeted. I've been smeared, tarnished. Uh, and for some reason, some of the stances that I took after Katrina uh, didn't sit well with some very powerful people. So now I'm paying a price for that. Attorney Robert Jenkins says Nagin's statements harken back to his infamous Chocolate City speech. There was a, a movement basically to, I guess, recapture the city and, and move people into certain areas and make places, what, green space, and he wasn't going to do that. So he fought that. He fought to bring everybody back. And that may have made him a target. But lead prosecutor Matt Komen says the evidence is what convicted Ray Nagin and there are no other conspiracies at work. Many times the mayor, when he was ever questioned, would typically, uh, one, deny any knowledge, obviously deny any culpability or responsibility for his own actions, and then thirdly, would offer up some abstract motivation 
by unknown forces. Uh, he did so in a book. He did so in that interview. He actually made reference to that during his trial testimony. But to date, as we sit here, I'm still waiting to hear exactly what he's talking about. I think that's I think what a lot of people still hate him for is that he seems arrogant and like he's he maintains this facade of I'm being targeted and, and he never says, well, look, maybe I made some at least maybe I made some errors in judgment or, you know, I shouldn't have done this. I didn't think I was doing something crooked, but maybe I shouldn't have been doing a deal with Home Depot. Whatever, just tell us something. And I think people don't forgive him for not... Like, I feel like if he came out and gave a really heartfelt, abject apology, people might not even need to see him go to prison. But they feel like this guy still hasn't learned. Now the city of New Orleans is finally gaining some traction. Some call it a renaissance, while others see continuing injustices and social issues that faced most major cities. And while the soul of the Crescent City may have been badly hurt by the tragedy of Katrina, its essence survives. We still got some of the greatest people in the world. We still have uh, the best food in the country. Our music is uh, continuing to innovate and reach new heights. So at the end of the day, leading a city like New Orleans is uh, still a pretty good, decent job. And authorities believe there is a real focus on making sure those who succumb to corruption are ultimately held accountable. Whenever your elected or appointed public official takes money, becomes corrupt, it is always a bad situation. It's never good. But in this case, under these circumstances, after Katrina, it was reprehensible what Nagin did. The city needed someone to be a true leader, and he let everybody down. Former New Orleans Mayor Ray Nagin was released from jail in 2020 due to COVID-19 concerns. He served only six years of his 10-year sentence. Thanks for listening to the American Read Podcast, presented by CNBC. I'm Stacy Keach. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.